This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. If you're only focusing on your tax deferred bucket, we really look at that as a compound debt to the IRS. So regardless of what tax bucket you're in now or will be in the future, we're bullish for having options. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do two different things. First, we're going to review the backdoor Roth IRA, what it is, and if it's right for your retirement investing plans. We have CFP Ashley DeSteiger back on the show to help us understand this uh, important concept for some. Second, we're back with our net worth win segment. This quarter, we're featuring Dave Fleischer, a teacher from North Carolina and a podcast host as well. He's going to share how he and his wife grew their net worth to over $1 million in their early 40s. All right, let's jump into today's show. When you're investing for your future retirement as a high income earner, the idea of a backdoor Roth IRA might come up. But is this the right option for you? Well, big questions like this are always better with really smart friends. So I thought I'd answer this one with my friend Ashley DeSteiger once again. Ashley is a CFA, CFP, and a CPA, and one half of the husband-wife duo at Gunder Wealth Management. When Ashley isn't helping couples manage their wealth, she's spending time with her three kiddos in Michigan. Welcome back to the show, Ashley. Andy, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for coming back. We are virtually neighbors, you know, just living a town across from each other. So I figured I'd uh, invite you back on the show to answer this great question here that has come up a few times on the show. So what is a backdoor Roth IRA? Let's start with that. Admittedly, Andy, this is one of my favorite topics. All right. Well, perfect. (laughs) And although with the year end deadlines coming, it's not as much of a priority as you have the opportunity to execute this up until April 15th of next year. But it's a strategy for high income earners who can't contribute to a Roth IRA directly because their income is over the IRS limit. So it allows you to contribute to a traditional IRA first. Keep in mind, you don't receive a deduction and then you immediately, well, although that's up for debate, convert it to a Roth. The timing there is not defined by the IRS and you can read various different opinions out there as far as how long you need to wait for the conversion. But the max you can do this year is 6,500 per person. So let's talk about the income level. So if somebody's considering this backdoor Roth IRA, it's at a certain point, at a certain income level. What point should people be considering this? Yes, absolutely. It's a great question. So if you file your taxes as married filing joint, the income threshold, and it's defined as MAGI, which may be out of the scope for this conversation today, but your modified adjusted gross income, the phase out is between 218 and 228,000. Combined married filing jointly, you said? Exactly. And single filers, it's between 138,000 and 153,000. For our folks who are listening to the show that are in that zone, this could be a good consideration for you. Let's talk about some of the advantages of doing this because it's it's a little bit of extra work, but what are the advantages of going through the extra work? It is extra work for sure, but it's a great way to plow money into your tax-free bucket. 
if we think about all of your investable buckets as just that, different kinds of buckets, the alternative is a taxable or a tax-deferred bucket. And if you're only focusing on your tax-deferred bucket, we really look at that as a compound debt to the IRS. So regardless of what tax bucket you're in now or will be in the future, we're bullish for having options. Having more options and then paying fewer taxes is always a lot of fun. Let's talk about some maybe other options as people are you know, taking advantage of these tax advantaged options. They got the 401k, they got the IRA, things like that. Would you look at a health savings account first? I know you and I talked about this on the show last time. Would you look at that as an option for investing before a backdoor Roth IRA? You know, Andy, that's a great question. The nice thing about a Roth is that it doesn't pigeonhole you to what you have to spend it on, like an HSA, which has to be on qualified medical expenses. With the Roth, you can take your contributions out anytime, no questions asked. There are some other nuances if you're performing a conversion, if you will, or, or, you know, rolling over an old employer plan that may have a Roth component. But if you're just looking at your straight up contributions, you can take them out anytime. The other nice advantage is that you can contribute more because the max for an HSA for a family is $7,750 this year. I also want to keep in mind too, when you think about an HSA, you have to have a healthcare deductible plan or excuse me, a high deductible healthcare plan. And that's not necessarily applicable to maybe everyone in the audience. So that's just another thing to keep in mind. But I do love it because it is another way to get money in that tax-free bucket. Got it. Yeah, that's a really good point. If you're not in the high deductible health plan, then the HSA is is not really an option for you. Now, are you recommending any insurance products or anything like that for high income earners as they get to this range? Let's say they're taking advantage of all these things. Do you talk to your clients about insurance products for investing or do you recommend keeping insurance and investing separate? That's another great question. We really like to think of it all as part of your overall financial health. If you're maxing out, you mentioned that, if you're maxing out all of the buckets available to you, and again, we think of it as a bucketed approach, and that, again, means you've maxed out your employer-sponsored plans, you've maxed out your backdoor Roth, your HSA, as you just mentioned, 529s if applicable, and you have a healthy taxable bucket, meaning you've put money into a either a joint brokerage account or an individual brokerage account, then insurance vehicles might be appropriate. My only caveat there is that there's a cost for insurance, and I want to make sure we're clear on what those excess funds should be used for. So when you think about insurance, are you using it for insurance protection, estate planning, and I guess I could say and or tax-free income and retirement? So I think that's important to make sure you define it. Got it. Yeah. So making sure we have a purpose for all of our investments and all of the places our money goes. Absolutely. I'm going to try to talk sort of in this vein of how much is enough kind of thing here. So bear with me with a couple of questions that are coming your way right now. Is there a point in time where you suggest to your clients that maybe they should look at decreasing the amount of investments they do? Like we're talking about backdoor Roth IRAs, we're talking about maxing out all these things. Maybe they should consider decreasing those investments and then maybe spend more of their money to enjoy today? Well, I can only imagine from your own story and really what your listeners are anticipating here, but we, we love this topic. Retirement is oftentimes an elusive term. Why plan for something so far away when you're really grinding right now? And I guess I'm really talking to those more so in the accumulation stage of life. Joe and I have both taken the George Kinder Life Planning course, which is very much focused on enjoying life today and really challenging you on some of 
you know, really the topic that you're asking here. That may mean that retirement doesn't have that traditional connotation our parents' generation is accustomed to, whether that's potentially laddering your income, maybe with less to no employer benefits. I think there's a real value to be had on trying to figure out what do you enjoy today? What can you do to not work so hard? Are you going to always put your foot on the gas for this for decades from now? I mean, that's that's a really hard way to kind of look at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, finding that balance, right? So do you see some of your clients having a hard time enjoying more of their money now and then just seeing what other ways they can invest? Absolutely. We really candidly see all ends of the spectrum. We definitely have some clients that are adamant that they are going to live life now, really kind of as you initially framed the question. And with the caveat that they know they may be working in some fashion for a long time. When you're talking about this philosophy of living and maybe making some different choices, do you see any clients choosing to work fewer hours as they get to this higher wealth accumulation stage? And how does your advice work on those areas? That's certainly a route to consider. You need to, or what we think you need to do is really hone in on what's important to you. And that's getting back to your last question. I think really what we want to avoid is creating a perfect plan that looks amazing right now, only to find out that life's going to throw these unexpected wrenches that will for sure happen and then cannibalize this perfectly curated document. We'd rather you find fulfillment today, but that's really up to the client to define what that looks like for them. That's not something I, or I can answer. That's something we can certainly facilitate, but the expectations need to be realistic. As I mentioned before, you know, the money, as we all know, money's a necessity. If the needs and line, if the needs and wants don't line up with your net worth, then that can be a tough conversation. So I think if, if it's on, you know, if you feel as though, and that's not to say your goals or whatever that may look like for you can't change, but I think working fewer hours, you know, if that will ultimately bring you more fulfillment, more happiness, more enjoyment, that's really hard to put a price on, or should I say a value on. Now, personally, have you and Joe, you know, knowing that you guys are business owners, have you found that flexing that amount of time worked based on you guys being parents and all the other things you've got going on in your life? Has that had an impact on your joy? Oh, wow. That, that may be a conversation for another day. Um, I appreciate <laughs> you asking that. Candidly, I would say now that we are business owners, we probably work the same as amount, amount as our previous life, but likely more so on our terms. So if that means before everybody's up or after everyone's sleeping, maybe if it means on the weekend, those are not ideal times. But if we want to be honest with ourselves, we do we do work on our own terms. And I think that there is a tremendous value add there from that standpoint. Yeah, I think there's a lot of positives and negatives to owning your own business. Yes, you get to craft your day, but there's a lot more work you got to do on your end as opposed to being an employee for sure. Yeah, to your point, it's a a discussion for a whole other day. So there's somebody listening right now, Ashley, and they're thinking, okay, you know, I'm not sure if a backdoor Roth IRA is for me, but I am interested in it. How would they go through those steps of just maybe one step after this interview, just to say, okay, this is for me or it's not for me. What could they do following this interview to figure that out? That's a great question, Annie. Thanks for asking that. So first off, 
do you have the excess cash flow to part with $6,500? And again, you, this is not a year-end deadline. You have up until you file your taxes next year, although excluding extensions, to contribute for the prior year. So that means you have until April 15th of next year to contribute for 2023. So if you have the funds, that's, I would say, step one. Step two would be to think about, and this is kind of where it gets a little messy. Do you have any outside IRAs? Do you have a rollover, a simple, a SEP? Because when you have outside IRAs, those were probably contributed to with a tax deduction. What the IRS is trying to get at in their formula here is they want to make, they want to aggregate all of your IRAs when you do this backdoor Roth concept and see if a certain percentage of the backdoor should be taxable to you. So it is cleanest to do when you have no outside IRAs or as we refer to it as no basis. If you do, yeah, you could certainly roll those into a, you know, your current employer plan potentially to eliminate that basis. Otherwise, and you mentioned this before, Andy, it is a lot of work. So if you have those outside IRAs, I we would consider skipping it, although it doesn't preclude you from doing it. That makes sense. Awesome. Well, Ashley, this has been very helpful. I think this is going to answer the question for a lot of people today about backdoor Roth IRAs. Now, if people want to connect with you to discuss your services and what you do and how you help people, where should they go? Oh, I appreciate that. Well, we are really, we're very fee transparent. You, we welcome anyone to come to our website, gunderwealth.com. We're also active on a handful of social channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Happy to be a resource in any way we can. We also post a blog monthly, keep it short and sweet. I know everyone is precious in their, their inbox is precious. So we try to stay as relevant as possible and really want to make sure that our value consistently exceeds our costs. So that's something that we're always really upfront about. And yeah, feel free to follow us on any of the social channels. These are the great people you want to connect with, people who are putting value above their bottom line for the end consumer. Thank you very much for your time, Ashley. Everybody, not only are these uh, great people, but they're my neighbors as well. So (laughs) (laughs) consider, consider looking them up. Ashley, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Andy. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. 
Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. I love talking about increasing your net worth. This is our barometer for wealth building success. Today, we're going to speak with an investor who has grown his family's net worth to over $1 million by their early 40s. Dave Fleischer is our guest today. Dave and his wife, Stephanie, live in North Carolina with their two young children. And when he's not building his family's wealth, he enjoys teaching and supporting other teachers through his podcast, The Financially Independent Teachers or Fit Podcast. Welcome to the show, Dave. Hey, Andy, how are you? It's uh, good to talk to you for the second time in the, the last week or so. That's right. Yeah, we just connected on your show. I was very happy to be a guest on that and help teachers out there find their financial independence. So thank you very much for joining us and being transparent and helping other people along their wealth building journey. Let's talk about your story. Looking back, what was your motivation for building wealth in the first place? My motivation for building wealth when I was 25 years old a few years before 25, I, I moved from Ohio in Northeast Ohio, born and raised. And then I moved down to North Carolina to get a teaching job. Sure enough, within the first year or two teaching, I met my now wife, Stephanie, who's awesome. And when we met, we had two completely different ways of viewing money. She was a real estate agent and she still is. And she was making about 75000 a year. And when we met, I was a young teacher making around 40000 I had five to $10,000 in the bank. And she had $20,000 in credit card debt. She had a Hummer that she had $35,000 of credit card debt in. And I had a paid for truck. So we had two completely different views on money, although we loved each other and we had very similar values in other areas. That was really the motivation was trying to bring our two worlds together. She was very aggressive and fearless when it came to investing and real estate and taking chances and believing in herself. I'm the son of an auto manufacturer in Northeast Ohio, and it was more of a, a nine to five. You know, you don't live to work, you work to live. And we had to blend those two lifestyles. So I think she told me when we were dating that if I continued to rent, which was actually from her dad by, at that time, if I continue to rent, she couldn't see this moving forward because she wanted somebody who was willing to invest and build wealth and things like that. And I told her that if she was going to continue to run up credit cards at $20,000, I wouldn't be able to date somebody like that either. So at that point, we both realized we needed to make some changes. And we figured if we can combine the best of both worlds, how we were raised, we could build something maybe pretty special. 
I think that's fantastic. You know, I would say uh, I have a similar-ish story. You know, I definitely go towards the saver's mindset and my wife enjoys living for today and having a lot of fun. And I've definitely flipped my script over the past 10 years in our relationship. So I feel you, man. I feel you, the importance of planning for tomorrow, but also enjoying today. So that's incredible. So you said your wife is a real estate agent and you're a teacher. Now, around when you guys started this net worth journey, that sounds like you were in the 120,000 kind of mark for a household income. Has that increased since that period of time to help you hit this millionaire milestone? Absolutely. That is that has gone up. My income has doubled. I ended up getting my master's degree during that time, which gave me a 10% raise. And then salaries in my district have gone up. And then my wife, I would say the last four or five years have been her best four or five years in real estate. So her income has probably about doubled since then as well. So we both doubled our income. That's a big part of these net worth stories is having the ability to continue to grow your income and grow that wealth, as, as your wife talked about, growing that wealth. Talk to us about the uh, home purchase story. Did you guys move away from renting? Are you homeowners now? Is that part of this net worth as well? Real estate is a big part of our net worth. So quick story. When I met my wife, again, I was kind of a, is what she would call a scared renter. Well, number one, I'm from Ohio. Number two, I didn't know if I want to stay in North Carolina. So why would I buy a place if I wasn't sure I'd be here? Well, sure enough, I met her and, and I knew pretty quick, like, this is my wife. So she moved me in that direction, but I was scared. My parents brought me home from the hospital in 1982. And the same house that I was brought home from in that hospital was the same house I graduated high school from. I wasn't used to moving around and bouncing around and taking advantage of deals where my wife's family, her dad being a real estate agent as well, they were constantly moving. They lived somewhere a couple of years, find a deal, sell, et cetera. So I went from being a scared renter to my wife convincing me to buy a townhouse at 25 years old. And she also owned a townhouse. So she had a townhouse. I had a townhouse, just like little $100,000, 900 square foot townhomes. So we decided to get married. We get married and she moves into my townhouse. So naturally, what do we do with her townhouse? When we move into mine, we rent it out. After a year of marriage, we find out, oh, we're going to have a, a growing family here. I'm not sure if we have enough room for the baby and all those things. So we decided to build a small little patio home, about 1,500 square feet. So now we build the small little 1,500 square foot house. And now that we have her house rented out and it worked quite well, we then decide to rent out my townhouse. So I went from being a 25-year-old scared renter to being you know, no home ownership to owning three homes in about a 24 month period. <laughs> That's incredible. And then do you guys still have those rentals today? We do not have those rentals. We've done 1031 tax exchanges with those rentals. And then with our primary residences, we would live there two or three years. We kind of followed her parents' model. As long as you live in a property two out of a five year period as your primary residence, you can sell it. And I think now as a married couple, you can make up to $500,000 on the sale before having to pay any sort of capital gains taxes. And there was no way we were making that money, but we'd live somewhere two or three years, sell it, take the equity, and then roll that into another home. So now I think we have our primary residence and we have four rental properties. That's incredible. I love it. So how about on the uh, maybe stock market investing side? Do you also have stocks and things like that that you've built up as part of your portfolio? We do. I'm not very proud to say this, Andy, but I think we got married at 28 years old. And I think it was 33 when we first learned what a Roth IRA was. So at 33 years old, there's hope out there for the listeners 
We had zero money invested in the stock market. And I had a 403B available at work, a 401k with no match as a teacher. And then, of course, you have your Roth IRA. She had, you know, obviously the Roth option and a SEP IRA at her job, but we didn't know what any of that stuff was. Now we are up to around 580,000 in the stock market. But the key to our growth, Andy, from going to in 2011 when we got married, I would say our net worth was about $50,000. In 2018, my sister convinced me to sign up for mint.com. I had never heard of it before. And when I plugged in all my information, our net worth at that point was about 215,000. And from 2018 to 2022, over a four year window, we went from 215 to a million. But the key to us doing that was my wife is a high income earner. I'm an average earner as, a, as an educator is we decided to flip the script and I started a side hustle. I was a head baseball coach for a decade. We had two kids in 18 months. We were pretty busy at home. My wife wasn't a big fan of me making $1,500 to coach high school kids. So I decided to stay at home, but I, I love being outside. I loved the little bit of extra income that I had from coaching. So I started a little lawn care business. And we decided that instead of living off of my wife's income and banking my teacher income and lawn care business income, We'd live off of $4,000 a month from my teaching money and my lawn care money. We'd bank 100% of what she made. So the reason why we went from 215 to a million in four years was simply living way below our means and investing in real estate and in the stock market her entire income. That's incredible. I love it. Now, let's talk about the liability side of things. We talked about the assets. You got a lot of real estate. You got a lot of stocks and, and investments there. Do you guys have any debts today? Anything on the liability side? The only debt that we have is our primary residence. We owe about 230000 on that. My wife says it's probably worth about five hundred, And then we do have a mortgage on one of our four rental properties. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm assuming these are one of these legacy, awesome two, three, four percent mortgages instead of what's going oh, on yeah. today. <laughs> yes. We are at 2.75%. And, you know, we do have a goal of wanting to pay off our primary residence by 50. We're both 40, but we're not in any hurry to do it right now. You know, a lot of people ask about inheritances, windfalls, things like that during this millionaire march. Did you guys have any things that supported your journey, maybe from older parents or anything like that? No, we've had no windfalls, no lottery winnings. You know, I'm very proud to say that when I moved away at 22 or 23 years old and, and left the state of Ohio and came down here, I never once had to ask my parents for a car payment or rent payment or anything. I did have my college. My undergraduate was paid for by my family, which was a huge blessing, enabling me not to have student loan debt. And my wife actually never went to college, so she never had student loan debt. She's just a hustler and, you know, you don't need to have a degree to be a real estate agent. I love that. I love that. Yeah, that's so true. And as somebody who works as an entrepreneur now, it's something that I'm kind of struggling with as I'm saving up tens of thousands of dollars in a 529 college savings account for my daughter. I'm like, am I doing the, am I doing the right thing? But that's a discussion for another day. Let's talk about what realization this is for you guys. Now, you guys are a million plus in your early 40s. You have decades of before you know, even what might appear to be a retirement, what financial dreams and goals do you and your wife have now? Well, we're both 40 now and I can actually retire as a North Carolina teacher at 50 years old. And it just so happens that that same year I can retire, my daughter will be a senior 
at the high school that I teach. Now that's a long way down the road. She's only in third grade, but that's kind of like a nice little carrot out there that's dangled that every year that she kind of moves on, I know that I'm one year closer to retirement and I can essentially walk across the graduation stage with her. So we plan on continuing to work. My wife is a breast cancer survivor. We went through that whole process during COVID actually. And the healthcare piece that my job provides is, is very, very strong. And in North Carolina, I can actually retire, collect on my pension at 50, and I'll have health care for life. So even if other opportunities came along, I'm 18 years into my job, I've got to make it to 50 to make sure that, you know, with her pre-existing condition, we can have health care for the family. And by the way, I do love my job teaching, so I don't just do it for the health care. So we dream a lot. You know, we dream about where we're going to travel, who knows where the kids are going to end up. My wife is a big giver. She loves to every year, as an example we'll go to Waffle House on Thanksgiving Day in the morning and we'll go eat a $30 meal at Waffle House and we'll send the kids up and give the the server, you know, five $100 bills and leave a $500 tip. You know, we're not Mr. Beast level or anything like that, but my wife is inspired to build wealth to give and that's really rubbed off on me. So there's a lot of cool things that we want to do to help other people out in our community. That is such a way to live. I truly believe that a core piece of happiness is being able to give and serve other people. And I love that your wife does that and has influenced you in that way. And I love how you're talking about your story of the influences of both sides of husband and wife in this wealth building story. So I think this is fantastic. Now, Dave, somebody's listening and they hear your story. They're inspired by it. They want to build their net worth to a million dollar level like you have. What advice would you give them to get started? I would say if you're in your 20s, now is the time to hustle. We didn't have children until 30 years old, but I didn't really wake up to personal finance until we had children. Now, again, I was raised in a family that was great at saving money. They weren't great at investing money. And my wife was raised in a family that was great at making money, but spending every dime they made. And they just said, if I want something, I'll just go work harder and I'll get it and I'll make the payment and try to get it paid off eventually. So combining those two mindsets was definitely a challenge. But if you're in your 20s, I would say hustle where you can before you have a bunch of responsibility. On our podcast, we talk a lot about the fit 25 by 25 rule. If you look at historical returns in the stock market, if you had $25,000 invested by 25 years old than say the S&P 500, you would actually kind of be coast fi And at 65 years old on an 8% rate of return, you're sitting at around a million dollars. So if you're in your 20s, side hustle, work as much as you can, of course, have fun, but set a goal to try to have $25,000 invested by 25 years old. And if you get married, try to live off of one income, live below your means. We were at one point making over $200,000 a year. We had a 3,600 square foot home that had five bedrooms. We only needed three of them with two kids. It had a second living room upstairs, the two car garage. It was the classic suburban home. And we decided after actually watching the documentary Minimalism to downsize, we sold that house and paid cash for a 900 square foot duplex. We shared a bedroom, of course, my wife and I, and then our kids actually had to bunk up together. So we lived below our means. I wasn't sure if our friends and family thought we were crazy or if we were going bankrupt or what we were doing going from 3,600 square feet to 900. But that really accelerated our wealth journey because that little duplex that we bought is now an Airbnb and it made about $25,000 in cash flow last year. 
that is such a smart piece of advice too, because that's really the secret that everybody's looking for all these different secrets. It's really just living below your means and then saving and investing a whole bunch of it. So this is fantastic advice, Dave. Thank you for reinforcing that. If people want to learn more from you, check out your podcast. Where's the best place for them to go? Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, all those places. We're called Financially Independent Teachers, and our whole goal is to inspire middle-income earners and show them how other people who make middle-income salaries like a teacher are doing it. And they can check out our website, financiallyindependentteachers.com. Excellent. Dave, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Andy. I appreciate you having me on. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific situation. Before we go for the day, I want to ask you a quick favor. If you liked this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or sharing it on social media. The best way for more people to find and consider the show is from recommendations from people like you who listen to it. So please text a friend with this episode or another one of your favorites that made you want to keep listening to Marriage, Kids, and Money. Tell them why you like it and why they should check it out. Or better yet, you could share it on social media and then tag your friend Andy at Marriage, Kids, and Money on Instagram or Facebook or at Andy Hill MKM on LinkedIn. I appreciate your support in growing this message of family, wealth, and happiness. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Morgan Housel. Doing well with money has little to do with how smart you are and a lot to do with how you behave. Here's to making the right moves for your family's financial future. Carpe diem.